Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Hello and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. I'm your host, Erin Marlowe, and each week I'm joined by a panel of guests to discuss all things fandom and pop culture, primarily from a female perspective. You'll find everything from fanfic to cosplay to Schitt's Creek to Supernatural and everything in between. So put on your favorite piece of fandom merch, set aside that fanfic that you're writing about your OTP, and sit back and enjoy this week's episode. Hello and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. We're continuing our celebration of Black History Month with a discussion about the television show A Different World. So this should be a lot of fun. Before we get into that, just a few housekeeping notes. Of course, we are taking listener support for as little as 99 cents a month to $9.99 a month. Just go to our link in our show notes or head on over to our anchor page and click listener support there. Excuse me. And we also have our Redbubble store and that link will also be in our show notes. So if you need a new coffee mug, if you need a new throw pillow, if you need just a sticker, head on over to our store and pick up some swag. And, of course, 50% of whatever we receive from that and also from the listener support will be going to one Black Lives Matter organization per month. Okay, so let's have our panel introduce themselves and tell me one thing you're into in pop culture right now. Carla? Hi, I'm Carla. And this week I am very simply into a different world because I got caught in, like, this vortex of a different world in preparation for tonight's recording. I started watching. I was like, okay, I'll watch, like... Maybe like two episodes per season, you know, get the gist of it, get those juices flowing, maybe read a couple of articles. And I started watching season one and I just, you know, kept going through the whole season. And it's not even the best season. So I don't know, like, why I started with season one. And then I started, like, you know, fell down the rabbit hole of of articles and, you know, uh, the the little biography clips of all of the actors and everything. So, yeah, let let's say that I prepared in depth for this week. That's awesome. That's awesome. So then it's going to be a really good conversation then for sure. So, <laughs> and well, it, it'll be either that or I'll just like, like, oh my God, it's just like the best show. And then I'll be able to <laughs> be any more eloquent than that, which is also fine. It's valid, I think. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. And Tiffany. Hi, I'm Tiffany. And I finally started the Small Axe series of films that Steve McQueen did on Amazon. And it is so, so good. Um, I am through the first 
four. He did a series of, he did five of them. And I got through the first four. My favorite so far is Red, White, and Blue with John Boyega. He is just such an immense talent. So if you've never seen them, please watch them because it is excellent. I can't wait to finish it. Yeah, that's been on my list for so long. Thank you for the reminder. It's on my Amazon list. Yeah, and I heard the red, white, and blue one is the best one. That's what I've heard. Funny enough, I I heard people talking about Lover's Rock the most. Oh, that one too, yeah. And Lover's Rock turned out to be my least, so far it's been my least favorite out of the series. Um, I think Mangrove was probably my second favorite. Uh, that one had a lot of just, it was intense. Um, Letitia Wright is in that and she was outstanding in it. Uh, but definitely red, white, and blue was just, uh, he blew me away in that because it's a different, it's a different character for John Boyega, but he's good in everything he does. So I wasn't, I shouldn't be surprised. (laughs) Yeah, I definitely, definitely have to check that out. Okay. And what I'm into is a shutter movie and I, and I know you may say, oh, shocker, but I actually have not recommended a Shudder thing in a while. So to be fair. (laughs) Um, You're right. It's been about like 36 hours at least. (laughs) Well, maybe 36 hours not on here, but (laughs) anyway, um, Um, right before we started, I watched this Valentine's Day when we're recording this. And for Valentine's Day, I watched a very, very romantic film called After Midnight. Um, and I'm being a little bit sarcastic there, of course. Um, but it is actually, it's it's very interesting little movie. It's very independent, something you would definitely see at a film festival. And it's about a guy and a girl, and they are in love. It's their love story. And she just leaves one day. She leaves a note and says she's going, I think it's to her reunion. And she leaves, and then she's gone for a while. And all of a sudden, after midnight, this weird creature keeps showing up at the house. And you never, you very rarely see the creature. And then um, other things happen, and I won't go into it. But it's more about the love story than it is really necessarily about the horror part of it. Um, but I will say one thing for it that is it has one of the best jump scares I have seen in a movie in so long. I literally went, oh, my God. <laughs> so if if you're looking for something that isn't as in your face as far as like gore and there is some gore, but very little and it's more about the characters, then I recommend that one. I also really like the music in it, too. So and once again, that's on this service that I very rarely mention called Shudder. So. I I love when I can make people laugh about that. Anyway. (laughs) Okay, so let's get into a different world. Now, Carla, I know it has been very, a very long time since you have watched this show. Or binged it. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) So let's first talk about. (laughs) Um, Hours, man. Yeah. So, of course, this was sort of a spinoff, of course, of the Cosby show at first. Because Denise Huxwell went off to college. And so it was supposed to be sort of her big show. And she, of course, was only really in the first season. I mean, she showed up a couple other times, but it was really just the first season that was about her. And then the focus shifted after that. Um, so I just want to know your thoughts on that, of, of how it worked as a spinoff in the first season um, and what your initial thoughts were of the show. I, I think for the most part, I'm very much of a snob 
when it comes to spinoffs and stuff like that. I'm, I'm like, oh, it's not going to be as good as the original. And of course, I'm constantly being proven wrong. Um, not always, but just sometimes. Um, and definitely, I, I, I fell in love with, with a different world from the first season, which, you know, to hold that against me, I was like 11 or something. I was like 9, 10, 11. Uh, and it, so the first season was not particularly good. But it was perfectly accessible to me at that age. And it was just fun watching probably my second favorite Huxtable go off to college and meet new friends and have adventures on her own. And um, I really thought that it, that it, and rewatching it now, again, it's not the best season of the, of the series, but it still works in the sense that it's introducing you to this world and it's a lot of fun. And also when, not even just then, but even now, when do you see that many black women on a TV show in prime time on a major network? You know, it's basically never. But I, again, you know, it's, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed rewatching it. And I, I just, I loved Denise and um, Jalisa and Maggie. I loved Stevie. Stevie was my favorite part of season one. She was played by Loretta Devine, who is just fantastic and amazing. And I, I just, I adore her. Um, and I was really sad that she didn't go on with the rest of the show. Um, it, it always, and I mean, I love Marissa Tomei. I love Maggie. But I was constantly like, but why is she there? You know, <laughs> like she just really stood out for being just so kind of um, she just really stuck out. And again, that's not a knock on Marissa to me. I think she did a perfectly good job because Maggie, I found to be immensely likable. Um, but it, it just her character really never gelled for me with the rest of the show. So, you know, I, as much as I was kind of sad when she wasn't there, it, it was also kind of relief because I was like, okay, good. I don't have to, you know, watch this drag on any longer. <laughs> yeah. And Tiffany. So I was a fanatic and devoted to the Cosby show, as were a lot of different people. Um, so when it was announced that you're going to get a spinoff of it. I'm like, okay, obviously we're going to watch this too. It's um, it's a good way to, it, it, it's felt like it was skewing, trying to skew younger. You're trying to get those teenagers, young adults watching the show, not just that, you know, what is it? Demographic of 25 to 49. Um, they were trying to, to grab that younger audience, NBC was. Um, that first season... It's fine. Um, it does feel like a spinoff because obviously the Huxtables show up a lot. Uh, if it's not if it's not Cliff, then Claire's there a lot. <laughs> Denise goes home a lot. She's back in Brooklyn. Um, Dwayne Wayne <laughs> visits, <laughs> visits Denise in Brooklyn. You know they visit her family in Brooklyn. So you can definitely tell it's got its own stamp uh, as a spin-off of the Cosby show. But I feel like you get that significant break from it once Denise actually leaves 
and you get into further seasons, it does not feel like a spinoff at all. It feels like its own separate entity. And um, I think that also coincides with when, uh, I'm not sure if you all know, but Debbie Allen, who is a very talented um, director, she began to showrun and direct in that season too. She pretty much took over at that point in time. She had creative control of the show after that. And you can see the difference in tone with her creative control in it and see how much tighter things began to get. Um, There is a reason, and I think Lisa Bonet is a fantastic actress. I don't know if she worked for Hillman College. Um, I think when you remove her from the equation and you've got this core group of Whitley, Dwayne, Kim, Freddie, Ron, and you've got them, and you know, to a certain extent, Jaleesa on the periphery as well. I think that's when the show just tightens up and just becomes about those friends having these, you know, these collegiate adventures together. And that's when I think the show hits its sweet spot. Um, that really kind of just you, from seasons like two to about five <laughs> the show was in a groove <laughs> it was really in a groove and uh it rarely missed at that point and i think it definitely coincided with with debbie allen uh becoming that showrunner yeah carla just adding from my extensive research <laughs> from this past week um pretty much what happened is that lisa bonet became pregnant at the towards the end of season one and um debbie allen said to Lisa Bonet, because Lisa Bonet wanted to hide it from Bill Cosby. And Debbie told her, no, let's go talk to him. I'm sure that, that we can fit you in with this and everything. And it'll, it'll be an interesting storyline to have this, you know, pregnant student. And Bill Cosby basically put his foot down and said, absolutely not. We're not doing that. So she was written off the show. She didn't come back to either A Different World or The Cosby Show for a year. So they sent Denise off to Africa to, you know, find herself or whatever. And, um, but that also coincided with Debbie Allen taking over a showrunner, like you said. And, uh, and she wanted to structure the rest of the show after her experiences in a historic, uh, historically black college or university. Yeah, that's, that's a whole HBCU thing. I was forgetting university. <laughs> um, and I think it really paid off. But I just wanted to throw in the trivia that I learned with my hard-earned um, Googles. Yeah, no, thank you. Yeah, I thought there was, because I remember there was something like this. There was always tension between Bill Cosby and Lisa Bonet about that stuff. And that, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and then Tiffany. Yeah, and she got married to, um, she got married to Lenny Kravitz. They were young when they got married. And she did, she got pregnant almost like right away. So it was a whole it wasn't anything shocking. I mean, hello, she was a, a married woman. She's allowed to do what she wants to do. But um, that was at a time when that respectability politics was very, very uh, key for, especially for a black sitcom or quote unquote black sitcom uh, to be successful. So uh, Bill Cosby wanted a certain view of things and had an idea of how things should be made and how things should look. And, um, and that's why, as Carla said, the trivia, why Denise 
goes to uh, find herself <laughs> in uh, in a halfway across the world. Um, but also, I have a um, a little trivia for you all as well. From uh, and this is actually new, and I've taken pictures in front of it because it's where I went to school. It's where I went to college. But the that opening shot when they show the students walking in front um, of the quad area, that's actually my college, Spelman College. <laughs> Those are all the shots that are used. It's all of Spelman. So Spelman College is Hillman College for anybody that didn't know. Uh, those are all of those outdoor, all of that brickwork, beautiful brick buildings and stuff like that. That's all Spelman in Atlanta, Georgia. Awesome. Did you geek out the first time, your first day at I, on campus? I did. I geeked out um, because I'm like, oh my gosh, I know what this, I've seen this on TV <laughs> so many times. So when I went and visited, because uh, I, I went and visited my senior year of, of high school to see if I wanted to, if it was a right fit and everything. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this is where they <laughs> shot this. And this, is, this is the opening sequence to a different world. Yeah. So it was really funny. <laughs> yes. I bet. I bet. <laughs> Um, and yeah, I grew up watching the Cosby show as well. Um, and I remember when it was announced, I was just, I was happy that I could still see Denise. Um, but it is always kind of rocky because you're so used to seeing the other characters. And so I think that's why, of course, they had them on so much because you were so used to that. And I think with any show that's doing a spinoff, it's very rare that the first season is going to work that well. Because they're trying to find their footing, trying to be independent of their parent show, but also still incorporate that because they want to have that same audience, but they also want to draw in a new audience. Like you said, Tiffany, a younger audience. So I think it's always going to be a little bit shaky. And I definitely should have put Debbie Allen on this outline. I don't know why I didn't, but I definitely should have. I was like, oh my gosh, I was just hitting myself, kicking myself when I was watching. And I'm like, why didn't I put her on here? I don't know why. But uh, but yeah, I do agree it found its footing. Um, while the theme song always stayed the same, the opening, of course, changed. Um, and I think it worked better for the show. Um, I like the fact that the focus shifted so much to the, to the, to certain characters. Um, and I, I agree, the Marissa Tomei character, I think it's almost like having... It's like having a token white person is basically what it is. It's like we're going to throw in this token white person and then maybe, I don't know, maybe it'll draw in more white people to watch it. I, that could have been the thinking behind it. More of my knowledge imparted to you. <laughs> um, the show originally, what they wanted to do was to center it around the white character. And that was going to be about the the experience of a white character in a historically black college or university so thank god they dropped that because yeah yeah that would have been that would have been terrible yeah and i did i mean thank you carla carla is doing all the research for this episode this week so thank you all research done by carla um <laughs> your podcast host has, has failed in that that duty but thank you thank you <laughs> no seriously thank you um yeah that would have been that would have been just terrible, especially if it's going to be a spinoff of the Cosby show. I mean, that makes no sense. Unless, was it originally not even going to be a spinoff or do you know? 
Um, originally, actually, they were they had cast Meg Ryan as Maggie, and yeah, and they um, and actually she went off to do movies. So they're like, oh no, no, we don't have a Maggie. What do we do? I guess we'll center it around Denise. <laughs> and then they brought in mm. uh, Marissa Tomei to play Maggie. So they're like, you know, who knows this lady? We'll just have her be, you know, a side character. Huh. So yeah, like it gets grosser and grosser. So wow. I, I'm just very glad that that Meg Ryan went up to make movies instead of <laughs> sticking around for a different world. Yeah. Thank you, Meg Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh wow, that's so interesting. Um, Okay, well, let's get into the theme song. Like we talked about with Living Single, theme songs were a big thing in the 80s and the 90s and (laughs) somewhat a little bit early 2000s, but mainly 80s and 90s. And you could remember the theme song. I think um, Different World had one of the best ones. So I just want to talk about that. Everybody's thoughts on the, uh, the theme song, Carla. I have not thoughts, but just praise and love for this theme song. It was actually co-written by Don Lewis, who played Jalisa. And it is a magnificent theme song. It's just a magnificent song, period. The original version was sung by a blues singer, Phoebe Snow. And, you know, she did her thing. It was quite good. I always loved hearing it when, you know, and like watching the the very colorful and, and cute um, opening sequence with like all of them. They're playing and, they're, you know, it's like a, a car wash, but not but not disgusting. Like the ones in, in the high schools with the girls in bikinis who are underage. And then... In season two, because what they wanted to do is what they wanted to do, what they did with the Cosby show, which is that every season would have a new iteration of theme song. So they thought, OK, well, you know what? Um, we're bringing in, I forget his name, who plays Colonel Taylor. And he happened to be married to Aretha Franklin at the time. And also Debbie Allen was a good friend of Aretha Franklin. So they're like, hey, Aretha, why don't you come and record a version of the song? And Aretha's like, great, I don't fly, bust me in. So they do the bust her in from Detroit to california she goes and like she records in, in you know like basically no time and they're like okay it's perfect thank you aretha let's just hang out and then you have this perfect version of the song and after that they were like yeah we're not gonna change this because how do you conceive of the idea of oh hey let's just do something different from aretha franklin i know that in the sixth season they had boys to men record a version but frankly nobody really remembers that because it's nowhere near as good as Aretha's version I mean I know my parents love me I just whoosh. I know Tiff is sitting there like already going off on a yeah Tiff yeah that's right uh-huh I know now that I'm ready yeah I mean oh it hits every portion of your soul and if it doesn't I'm sorry you're dead where do I send flowers <laughs> So great. Okay, Tiffany. I'm sitting. Yes, I'm sitting here. I'm singing. I'm at the top of my lungs. I'm belting it out. <laughs> it's a different world. From where you come from. <laughs> it is. It is gold. It is gold. It's one of those. It's one of those um, intros that you see in your mind, and that you uh, number one, you know the song. You've memorized the song because you've sung it so much, and then you can see the intro with them in the chemistry, <laughs> in the chemistry lab, and then 
when they come bouncing the basketball, Mr. Gaines <laughs> throwing the towel, and then <laughs> Dwayne with his talking to the girl with his glasses flipped up. It's, I mean, it's perfect. It's literally perfect. And people don't realize how much of a um, Don Lewis, who played Jalisa, of course, has a lot of writing credits to her name. She's written a lot of songs um, and co-written a lot of songs. So I'm like totally not shocked that she has that writing credit under her belt too. I did not know Glenn Turman, Colonel Taylor, was married to Aretha Franklin. Because I think Aretha was married, what, like four times? Five times? Something like that. So I don't know what number husband he was. But, <laughs> but the song is perfect. That intro is perfect. And the fact that they ever touched it for... Season six is just ludicrous, and I love you boys to men, but no. Yeah, I was just watching season six today, and it, it it's jarring because even though it's the same song, it's just not the same. It doesn't feel the same. It doesn't. Um, it's just, it's not as catchy. It's one of those theme songs that you don't skip when you're watching it. Um, because I know on because it's on Prime right now. In case you didn't know where you can watch this. And I think Prime gives you the option to skip it. And you just, for that one, I never, ever did. Because there are some theme songs you're like, okay, get it, whatever. But definitely with that one, you definitely want to listen to it each and every single time. And I love all the trivia we're getting. I just want to say <laughs> No, it's awesome. It's awesome. I'm like, cool. Keep it coming. Okay, well, let's get into Hillman College, the fictional college that they went to. I want to talk about that, Carla. I don't have a ton to say about Hillman College, and that's simply because, you know, I, I went to a, a Miami white people college, so I don't have anything really to be like, oh, here's some cool stuff about HBCUs. Yes, that. <laughs> Like, did I get that one right? Yes, yes, yes. Um, so all I'm gonna say is that, uh, look, I, I had mentioned when we were talking about Beverly Hills 90210 on the um nighttime dramas episode that Beverly Hills 90210 set me up for what high school should be like, you know, like this thing, and I always felt like really like eh, because apparently you're supposed to be thin, white, and rich, and I was none of those things. And it was just really awesome to see uh, a different world and see black kids just having a great time learning how to navigate adulthood and having all of these adventures and forming all these friendships. And it was just beautiful and fantastic. And uh, and then, of course, it set me up for the idea that I was have like all of these amazing adventures and friendships in, in my college experience. But... I did have the friendships, but not the adventures. So um, that's kind of false advertising. <laughs> and Tiffany, it really, um, it really did color my viewpoint to how college was actually going to be. And I have to say that life at Hillman College was surprisingly similar to life that I got at Spelman College. It was very, very similar. The um, the tight knit community. The uh, even like the classroom settings that they had, very similar to what I had at Spelman. Um, the 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 extracurriculars, so like you know Greek life and for 
those who don't know, um, for Black Greek organizations, they're called the Divine Nine. There are nine fraternities and sororities uh, that are, that most colleges, not everybody has a chapter on campus, but most HBCUs do have some, one of the nine. Usually they have like multiples of the nine um, available for people to pledge. They don't, the Black <laughs> Greeks don't, don't rush they pledge <laughs> so that's the difference <laughs> you don't go to like some rush where you try to get into multiples at one time no when you pledge a black greek organization you pledge one so you know me sitting here i could pledge aka or i could pledge delta sigma theta you know that sort of thing um so it was really yeah it was really really similar <laughs> it was it was very similar and i loved all i love how in-depth they got with it because they had all of the the um the the paraphernalia the hillman college paraphernalia which we could see back on the cosby show before a different world even started remember he was always wearing hillman college sweatshirts and sweaters and stuff like that and that is a huge thing <laughs> at black colleges everybody has on a hoodie a t-shirt something a jersey, you always walk around like with your with your school on your chest, essentially. So it's very similar. Very, very similar. I always appreciated that. That actually just reminded me of more stuff that I read, um, which was that Debbie Allen and some of the people from the production crew would visit um, the colleges and universities and just to get a sense of the fashion, uh, the issues that the kids would be uh, living through and interested in and in having seen portrayed on the screen um, and just like student life. And like I said, you know, she based it, she based the direction of the show on her own experience, but she wanted to keep it, you know, contemporary. So that was something that was like very awesome and thorough. Yeah. Yeah. And I went to film school, so um, not even close to the same <laughs> like at all um <laughs> i mean we barely even had i mean you had finals but it wasn't the same thing it was like your final movie project so i mean we had papers we wrote and we had to analyze scripts and stuff but we didn't have that and we didn't have any sororities anything like that we had nothing like that so very different um we didn't have any like uh, you didn't have any football teams, anything like that either, no sports. Um, so yeah, so I don't really have much to add as far as personal experience goes, not even close to the same thing. Um, <laughs> but I will say when you're young and you, and you're watching it when I was young and watching it, I was like, oh my gosh, college is going to be just the most amazing thing. It's like when you're watching high school shows and you think high school is going to be the most amazing thing. That's awesome that it was so similar to your experience, Tiffany. I think that's really cool, which just shows me they really knew what they were talking about and writing about. Okay. Well, we already sort of already touched on Denise leaving, so we won't go into that too much unless Carla has any kind of trivia she wants to add to that other than what she already did. <laughs> I think I've already delved into that well of knowledge. <laughs> okay. Awesome. So we are going to get into the characters so let's start with Whitley. So what are your thoughts on Whitley, Carla? I hated Whitley. The moment that I saw her, it took a while for me to to change my mind on that. Like the show 
Um, but, you know, to their credit, they didn't just automatically in season two try to, like, spin her as a lovable character. You know, like, they started to humanize her and to make her more three-dimensional and more uh, less hateable as time went on. But it it didn't... Uh, I, I didn't... You know, a lot of people loved her from from Go. And I just couldn't because I was just like, oh my gosh, she's so rude and she's so mean and she talks about being not rude and mean, but that's all she is. And also, I don't like her accent. And it just really... Just everything about her got on my nerves. But um, a couple of things where, you know, there are points at which you can see the humanity in her, like the the, the less um, horrible, snobby, everything about her. As early as season one, the first episode where I was like, oh, maybe she's not so bad was when Rudy comes to visit Denise at, at Hillman and... Um, she goes to to sleep in in the room with Denise and her roommates, and they're like, "Yeah, this isn't going to work." So they they ask Whitley if she will take Rudy, you know, just for a sleepover. And Whitley is like, you know, fine with it, and and not only fine with it, but like really bonds with Rudy and uh, is very kind to her, very sweet with her, and uh, kind of takes her under her wing and it, it's 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 a lovely thing but then she also realizes that Denise is hurting from her little sister and not wanting to spend time with her so she tells Rudy in a in a way that Rudy can understand at her age the story about two sisters and how you know like they were uh torn apart it just, it's it's basically like a really beautiful little story that she tells her and Rudy ends up spending more time with Denise and it doesn't hurt her relationship with with Whitley. So as you know, time goes on, and you uh, really start to care about her and about her relationship with with Dwayne. Which at first I was like, "Oh no, this is so weird and shocking to me. I don't, I don't condone it." But then you start to see what they see in each other and why they would, you know, want each other in their lives, like the things that they bring out in each other, which. It, it becomes like a, this really beautiful pairing. Um, and that I, I really loved. I loved the relationship. I loved how much they loved each other and how um, when they butted heads, it was, you know, there, there were there were still sparks because they were just a great pairing. Um, I believe also that I think it was Don Lewis who auditioned for for Whitley. And then when Jasmine Guy got the role, or when she was auditioning, she decided to just do an accent from one of her teachers. And that's where we got the... Oh, because they wanted her to be Southern, and the only uh, connection she made was to one of her teachers, and she, she did it like, in the most exaggerated way that she could, and that was like apparently perfect for the role, which really it was. And Tiffany? I um, loved Whitley from the beginning because I like how much of a snob she was because she was such a snob. She is every, um, in in upper middle class um, society, black society, you have like Jack and Jill. It's this, you know, society group. Um, and most of my mother tried to get me to do it. And I was like, heck no, I'm not doing that lady. Um <laughs> 
Whitley embodies Jack and Jill attitude and mentality. Uh, she is a pampered princess. She is used to getting everything. Everything is her way or the highway. And it's not until later on when you find out how um, her dad left her mother and for somebody that is like two years older than Whitney and anybody that has that happen to them, it's going to be a, it's, it's going to be, it's going to mess with your mind. I think a lot and a lot of how her relationship with her father has colored Whitley's attitude to everybody, but she, she grows out of that. She grows as a person and you can see that she's honestly, she's, she's very loyal to, to her friends. Um, she, especially, I love her relationship with Kim, I think. And I love the fact that she calls her Kimberly, Kimberly. <laughs> she's one of the, she's one of the few that does everybody call everybody else calls her Kim, but she calls her Kimberly. <laughs> um, and I, I can appreciate how much of, a, um, her growth as a character, over the the seasons that we had the character for. Uh, There's such a difference between Whitley season one to Whitley season six. Uh, It's just, it's massively different. (laughs) And it was fun to see. It was fun to to get taken along for the ride with her and and seeing the the pitfalls of her um, being with Dwayne, breaking up with Dwayne, getting back together with Dwayne. (laughs) Then that... uh, I'll talk about the the thing that happens later on down the line. <laughs> it's just, yeah, I I always like the character of Whitley though. I really don't. And hello, her mom was played by played by Diane Carroll. Can you get any better than that? <laughs> yeah, I I I think she was originally the way I kind of always took the character when it was originally going to be more centered around Denise. Is she was going to be kind of the foil for Denise? Um, and I, and then I think what happened is I think so many people liked her and with Denise leaving, um, I think it was just kind of this easy transition to make her a lot more of the focal point, especially even further and further down the line, it became, you know, a lot of it was, uh, the Whitley and Dwayne show, you know, in a lot of respects. Um, and I, I thought Jasmine guy was so good in the part and so good in the role and so much fun to watch and so entertaining to watch. And when I'm watching, I have this thing with Southern accents and it could be because part of my family is from the South. I don't know. But whenever I watch them, I start speaking a little bit in a Southern accent. And so <laughs> I saw myself doing that a little bit today where I'd be like, <laughs> where I'd start talking and be like, Oh wait, wait. Okay. Wait. That does <laughs> And so I always appreciate listening to Southern accents because of that reason, Um, because it just, I don't know, it's something that just gets in my ear and I'm just like, okay, now I'm going to be talking in a Southern accent now. But I, I liked her pretty much from the beginning, but she did grow on me more and more as it went on. And then I would say she became my favorite character in the show. Um, And I liked that she did have so much growth. I love her relationship with Dwayne. I, I just, oh my God, I just, re-watching it, I was like, wow, yes, this is such a great ship. And I, we'll talk about them a little bit more later, but their chemistry was so amazing. I know you were tweeting about that earlier 
Tiffany, like the other day you were tweeting about people with good chemistry. <laughs> and I know you were talking about them because they do. They have amazing chemistry together. And it is a lot of opposites attract kind of thing. But it just works. They just work well together. Um, and I think that relationship changed her a lot. I think the relationship with all the other female characters changed her a lot, made her grow, made her find some independence um, and sort of break out of that mold of what her mom wanted her to be and what she was being groomed to be. And so she broke free of a lot of that. And it was nice to see that. So, yeah, I I really, really will always like her character. So we're going to skip ahead here and I'll just we'll just talk about Dwayne then since we've been talking about him already. So, Carla, what are your thoughts about his character? I was so glad about the changes that they made to Dwayne um, after season one, because season one, I, I really didn't like Dwayne because he was just so creepy. He was very pushy. He like all of those things that we talk about, um, uh, the rom-com male behaviors. He had all of them. He would insinuate himself into women's spaces. He was constantly at Gilbert hall. Um, He would, make overtures like repeatedly after he had been told no and it was just I I really was uncomfortable with Dwayne in the early seasons even through that I mean that that's a um it says a lot about Kadeem Hardison as an actor that he was still likable at all because I I think a lot of other actors would have just gone full on for the creep factor so I really like the way that, that he evolved as a character because even by early season two, he had changed and he was less pushy and less gross. Um, and I think in a way they pushed a lot of those traits onto Ron Johnson, which was, you know, they kind of split out those uh, parts of his personality into two different characters where he can be the goofy nerd who is still, you know, handsome and, and wantable and then you have Ron Johnson, who is just a lech. You know, uh, but I, I think Dwayne, especially as time goes on and he goes off to become like the super strict teacher and he has this magical moment down the line that I'm sure we'll discuss later on that just makes all of us swoon um, that really cements him as one of the the great um, romantic TV characters, I think, of all time. Um, But also, I really like the way that he handled the more dramatic moments in in the show. Because one of the great things about A Different World is that it tackled some really big issues in a sitcom. And it did it better than, I think, um, PSAs. And a lot of other uh, methods of, of instruction towards young kids did or ever could. Because they were very head on. And they uh, a lot of them featured Dwayne as part of it in some way. You had the um, honeymoon in, in Los Angeles. Uh, where they put Whitley and Dwayne right at the center of the... Um, the protests after the Rodney King verdict and uh, in the second season when, when he's 
saving Freddie from uh, uh, somebody basically trying to assault her during a date. And it then it didn't feel I mean, like the, the conceit itself is a bit hammy and it always feels heavy handed no matter who handles it. But he's so likable that it doesn't make you want to turn off the TV. So I think a, a lot of the, the credit to the success of those uh, episodes going over as well as they did are definitely in part due to to getting Hardison and uh, and to Dwayne Wayne. And Tiffany. Kadeem Hardison is such a great actor. And um, he's he's an actor's actor. And he's still acting, of course, present day. And um, it's funny how things kind of come full circle. Like my daughter, uh, the, the 10-year-old, she loves Casey Undercover. And I was watching it with her and I'm like, huh, <laughs> that's, that's Dwayne Wade. She's like, oh. <laughs> so it's, it's really funny that, um, that, that we get those things. And uh, here's a Twitter, uh, here's a, a little trivia for you. He's also in a movie with the best Chris, Chris Messina. Do y'all know what it is? <laughs> it's called Maid of Honor. <laughs> it's a little rom-com. We talked about that before. <laughs> he plays a friend of, um, of Patrick Dempsey's in that movie. And the movie's about Patrick Dempsey and Michelle Monaghan. But whatever, we're looking at it for Kadeem Hardison and for Christmas Cena. Anywho, I digress. Um, yeah, so that character, though, in season one is so, so creepy borderline like obsessive compulsive about being at Gilbert Hall all the time and let me tell you I went to an all-women's college okay here's the deal with that (laughs) you can't you had to number one you could only get on campus during the daytime if you had a class like I mean if you have a legitimate reason for being there for any male students you have to have a legitimate reason for being on campus number two if you're going into a dorm, you can't just walk in and then just walk around. There's a dorm attendant. And I know there's a dorm attendant because I was a dorm attendant. It was part of my work-study program my sophomore year. So they check you in. For any male students, once again, we had to check you in. And then we call the person that you're going to be seeing. They have to come down. The female student has to come down and escort you back to, the, to their room or escort you wherever they're going into the into the dorm. And they have to call out, man on the hall, man on the hall. <laughs> so in case, because you do have women who would come out of the bathroom and not necessarily be fully dressed or whatever. So you yell out man on the hall just so people can have an idea of what not to do. <laughs> so, uh, so it wasn't really realistic to me that he would just constantly be there all the time. Um, but I feel like season one, Dwayne was like, where there's a will, there's a way. And he was going to find a way to get into Gilbert Hall, no matter what, uh, his obsession with Denise was annoying at times. Um, and I think that's one of the things that actually bolstered that character was losing Lisa Bonet as Denise and and tightening up like we talked about tightening up that core group because that allowed that character to breathe and find other things so we find out how much of a of a math nerd he is 
and we find out, you know, his other, um, that he loves his mom's prune pudding, prune cobbler. <laughs> um, and that he's, you know, he's a, he's a really good friend, that he's a really, really uh, decent and loyal friend. And I don't think that would have happened necessarily had uh, Denise remained at Hillman. I think it could have still gone into that almost like a caricature of that desperate, um, desperate co-ed, desperate, you know, male student. Um, there's that part and we'll talk about it. I know Carl mentioned it and we'll talk about it. Like probably the most outrageous, wonderful declaration ever. <laughs> and we'll talk about that later. And I don't want to spoil anything just in case Aaron has anything to add. Yeah, I think when he started out, it's very much, you know, in the 80s, you had that thing of, like, Revenge of the Nerds, and you had all the nerds that were really creepy. And to me, he kind of reminds me of, in the first season, of Ducky from Pretty in Pink. And I know a lot of people like Ducky. I think Ducky is extremely creepy, Um, and he's a total stalker, Um, and he's totally obsessed with Andy. So, yeah, I'm not a fan of Ducky. And so I think even... The way he looks, even his glasses at first, even the way he carries himself is very much in that frame of the geeky guy, the nerd guy who's obsessed with sex and women and obsessed especially with one woman in particular. And so it makes him be an icky, skeevy character to watch, especially when you get older. And so I think it's great that he moves away from that and he becomes more three-dimensional and he becomes about more than just ooh, let me see how many times i can sneak over here and be with the women and and let me see if i can get with one of them and let me see if i can see somebody and let me see if i can you know that kind of stuff um and he became more about um you know academics and also with having goals and a future and then of course with whitley it was like um, I think he was so pushing against that for so long in a lot of respects, and she was too, but he was, I think, more so than her. And it was so great to watch him in that relationship. And of course, he was so romantic. I mean, and that wasn't something in season one you would have been like, this guy is going to be so romantic and <laughs> he's going to have us all swooning. And that wasn't what you would think in season one. But then you do, and we're, of course, going to get into the moment that everybody is talking about. But we're going to get into that when we talk about ships and stuff. Um, <laughs> but he is just, he becomes so swoon-worthy. I mean, watching it, I was like, oh, my gosh, he's so <laughs> dreamy and, like, you want that guy kind of thing. And you would never think that in the first season because those kind of guys are icky and gross and predators and so to also have him save Freddie when you had him set up as this creepy guy in the beginning and then to have him do that was such a nice thing to see because it's another way of pushing away from that. And yeah, I do agree. I think all of that creepiness went into Ron. It like just all kind of just it's like they wanted to keep it. And so they're like, we're just going to put it all into Ron and we have to have this in the show for some reason. So we're going to keep it in there. Um, and we want to make him more central. And if we make him creepy, we can't keep him like a central, central, central character that the show can revolve around. So I think that's a lot of the reason that changed. And yeah, the acting, the performance, I think the performances overall with everybody in this show pretty much 
are just really, really good performances. Um, and I forgot how many people were in this show when I'm rewatching it. I was because I haven't watched it in so long, and I'm just like, oh, that guy's in. Oh my gosh, and this woman, and oh my gosh, it's just such a great who's who of like these amazing actors and amazing performances. And so, yeah, so I think that's what it also blessed us with is with so many great people who were either legends or who are still working now. And you can, like you said, Tiffany, you can say, oh, there's Dwayne Wayne. And, you know, and your daughter's like, who? (laughs) Maybe someday, someday when you show her a different world, she'll go. uh, What's the name of the character he plays in that show that she's watching? Um, he's Casey's father. Darn it. What is his name? <laughs> I, it's, you know, it's in Daya's show, her Disney show that she oh. had, um, before she branched out and became a mega superstar. Um, <laughs> and I can't, for some reason, I can't remember what her dad's name is. <laughs> well, it's Mr. Casey's dad. Yes. It's Casey's dad. That's what it is. Because <laughs> then she'll be like, oh, it's, it's Mr. Casey's dad. <laughs> It's Mr. Undercover. <laughs> yeah, but that that's so awesome that you can have that generations, fight, you know, seeing an actor in different roles and loving them in different roles is pretty awesome. Yeah. Okay, well, let's move on to Jalisa. What are your thoughts on Jalisa? I, I was always kind of split, at least in, in the beginning, I was really split on Jalisa because I... I really admired that, you know, at the age of 26, she goes back to college. She's living among all of these people who are, you know, like eight years younger than her. Um, And the way that her character progresses is really interesting. But she was also like super judgy and and, um, very kind of harsh and also would kind of lead a lot of the more mean girl kind of uh, situations among the group. So I, I was, I, I was kind of like, I don't know that I like her so much. Um, I, I, I love Don Lewis. And so I wanted to love Jalisa, but I, I don't think that I really did until later on in the show. Um, and I, I don't know if it's because you're supposed to less of her because she kind of gets pushed off to the sidelines as the show goes on. So maybe you just see less of, there's less opportunity to see those things that make her kind of off-putting. Um, and then she just disappears. <laughs> she gets married and just vanishes. Like, you know, the, the ring was an invisibility ring. And maybe she's still on campus, but you can't see her. So that was a really weird power bequeathed to her in, in that wedding. And I kinda, I'm kind of suspicious of Colonel Taylor um, for... Maybe he disappeared her. Oh my gosh, there's just so many levels here that, that we could just go into. But overall, I, I thought, you know, she's a really strong character because she has such a presence in the show. She has um, the, I don't want to say the opportunity to be a mentor to these girls because it wasn't her responsibility to mentor them just because of the fact that she's older. But she does put herself in that role by seeking out... Um, the the role of being the um not hall monitor what is it the the dorm director so she does end up putting herself in the position to be that for the other girls but i don't know i I just felt like a lot of the time she was just so judgy that it didn't really make me comfort comfortable with her 
and like I said, you know, I, I, I love her, but there were a lot of times where I just did not enjoy her. And Tiffany? So, totally agree. Um, Dom Lewis is a really, really great actress, and I guess it's probably a testament to the fact that she's a great actress that I really did not like Jaleesa, like, at all. She was not a favorite character of mine. Um, there are only a couple of episodes where I can honestly say that I was like, okay, well, she did something right then. Uh, she does have a very mean girl attitude, and I don't know if it was because she was, because the character was written as older, and she's like, I just don't have time for these young kids. I don't have time for this. Um, and I think, like, people watching it, younger younger kids or, you know, young adults watching this today would be like, well, what the heck? Why would their 26-year-old be living on campus, be doing this? And they have to remember, okay, online classes were not a thing at this point in time. We're talking about the late 80s, the early 90s. That was not a thing. If you wanted to go to school, you had to go to school. You might not have lived on campus. That was a bit odd for her to be living on campus. Um, she probably would have lived off campus in an apartment somewhere. Um, but that's what you had to do. You were going to be in class with like 17, 18, 19 year olds. Um, I have a personal connection to that as well. There was my freshman year, there was a woman and she wasn't just like 26. I want to say she was like 34. She was way older than us. Grown, grown, grown. So now that was weird. <laughs> that was weird having somebody that much older than us living in a dorm with us and I don't know how she did it because you know hey 18 year olds are annoying but <laughs> so I, I honestly don't know how she did it and then later on that whole marriage to Colonel Taylor was weird that was weird because that's not you talk about her being older than them well Colonel Taylor was like what he had to have been like 25 years older than Jaleesa because I mean he had a grown son and then she ends up having a baby with the current what <laughs> what how did this come to be how did this even come it's we just the season ended then we come back and then they're married what <laughs> that's all i could say to that I, it was just weird it was very weird that that they, they decided that that was who they were going to put her with and that they thought that that was appropriate because i didn't think and hey i'm watching this when i'm like 11, 12 years old, and I'm like, he's way too old for her. It's like marrying her father. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> yeah, well, and I went to film school when I was older. Um, so I had that experience of, we didn't have dorms, so I mean, I lived in an apartment, like, off campus by myself, so <laughs> so I didn't live with like 18, 19 year olds, but a lot of people in my classes, it was a wide age range and it could be because it was film school. So it was a little bit different maybe, but you do have that, you know, I would have a couple of people would ask if I was the teacher and it wasn't like I was that much older. It was just because they were, you know, really young, but there were also great people that I made really good connections with, um, you know, who weren't 18 year olds. And I think that's probably why. And then there were people that were even older than me that were students there. So, um, and, and it is this, when you go to college and you're not taking online classes and you're actually there in person and you go to college at an 
older age, like not at 18 or 19, you can feel, I mean, if you're legally able to drink and you're going to college, you can feel a little bit of this weird, it's this weird intimidation and you can feel a little bit scared and a little bit like an outsider and you can feel, um, it's almost like that feeling of if you ever switch and you go to a new school and everybody knows each other and likes each other and are friends and then you kind of go in there and you're like, where do I fit in here and how do I find my footing? So in that way, I could relate to the character now. I couldn't, I couldn't when I was younger, no, but now I could more. Um, but I think the show didn't know what to do with her. And so they just kind of played the stick of her being the older person who kind of doesn't fit in and is, you know, can't put up with these younger people. Um, and so they don't know what to do with her. So they're just going to throw her into this weird, creepy marriage and nobody seemed to question that. That's what was so weird is it didn't seem like anybody was like, this is kind of an odd pairing. <laughs> this is kind of weird. It was just like, oh, yeah, that makes total sense. <laughs> and it just, it tainted my whole view. of It was just such a weird, weird dynamic. It was really like, they're like, okay, what in the world are we going to do with this character? I know, this makes sense. <laughs> It's kind of like they had all of these options and they kind of just threw a dart at a dartboard and it landed on that. And they're like, okay, I guess we're going with that. And I think that's a lot of the way the character was treated throughout the series is she was kind of one they didn't really know where to put her in. They didn't know where she fit. Um, And so that was kind of disappointing. Um, I think personally it was disappointing. Probably one of the most disappointing parts of the show was just... I don't know. I think they could have done more with her if they had really looked at it um, and if they had really explored that fact of, you know, and she wasn't that old. That's not that old to be going to college at all. That's not that old. Um, But you can feel that way when you start older and sort of exploring that of like, it's never too late to pursue what you want to do. It's never too late to go after your dreams and kind of approach it from that angle I think would have been more interesting if they delved deeper into that. Um, Yeah. Tiffany, you wanted to add something? And I had totally forgotten. Remember she was supposed to marry um, Walter. Remember Mm -hmm. that? Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So we go from her wanting to be, you know, obviously making this huge decision about going back to school, bettering Mm -hmm. herself, wanting to further her education. Then she falls in with Walter, who's the coach uh, which, okay, fine. He's, at least that's her peer, you know? I mean, it's it's not like mm-hmm. he's super old and he's not, it's not some kind of super creepy type of deal that they date. And then they get all the way to, oh, we're getting married, getting married in the dorm. Weird. But, yeah, <laughs> you know, whatever. <laughs> I guess, you know, save money. But then we're not going to get married. Okay. So, bye, Walter. <laughs> <laughs> I think, it, but I know why. I mean, Sinbad, his um, his stand-up career was was flourishing at that point in time. So I know he didn't have time to do the show because he was so in demand as a comic. Uh, so that's why he left. But it was, I mean, that was unsettled too. Um, so that was almost as unsettling, but not as unsettling, as unsettling as her marrying Colonel Taylor. Mm-hmm. Well, again, it was, you know, we mentioned this on, on the living single episode. It's 
trying to put in there that a woman needs a man in order to be happy. And so placing her in that box, I think that's what they just decided to do with her character, which to me went, went against what I saw her character as when it first started. So it was just kind of disappointing to me. I don't know. That's that's my biggest disappointment in the show, honestly, is what, what they did with her character. And yeah, that I mean the marriage to the colonel is just it's just it still is so creepy. Just rewatching it and I'm like, oh yeah, that really did happen. <laughs> that's just I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. My brain must have wanted to erase that memory. <laughs> Cause yeah, that was oh that was so creepy. Okay, well let's move on to Ron who, as we said, took on a lot of the characteristics of Dwayne once he started maturing a bit. So, Carla, what are your thoughts on Ron? Ugh, Ron Johnson. <laughs> oh, my God. If there was my at least favorite character that I could have on the show, it would absolutely be Ron. He was just gross and lechy, and then he he's dating Kim and cheats on her with Freddie. And uh, it's just all manner of creepy throughout the entire run of the series, at least in my opinion, because like pretty much everybody starts to grow up. And I don't feel like he really grows enough. He's just like stunted. He's like a, a, a child all throughout. And it's just very unpleasant. Um, he also. Oh, and there was the, the moment where Kim has an interracial relationship and he's like all mean about it. He's like, oh, it's just because I'm jealous. It's still gross. Like, you know. She's currently occupied. Don't be a jerk. And then say, oh, it's just my jealousy. Um, uh, you know, if there's a stain on Dwayne Wayne, it's just that he kept this dude around and we were forced to to have our to have him in our eyeballs. And I resent that perhaps eternally. <laughs> and Tiffany. Shout out to um to Daryl Bill, who played Ron Johnson, because he made that character so unlikable. And he's, uh, by all intents and purposes, he's he's a very nice guy in real life. And I don't know if you all know this, but he's been with Tempest Bledsoe, who was Vanessa on the Cosby. They've been together for like 30 years. <laughs> they are, they've been together for a long time. Um, yeah, Ron. So Ron comes from, I guess you call it newer money. Uh, his family is not like old South money. His family is new Detroit <laughs> car <laughs> dealership money. Um, but he, he's a spoiled, he, but he's another, he's a spoiled brat. As much as Whitley is a spoiled brat, Ron is a spoiled brat too. Um, but he, whereas she couches hers in snobbery, he couches his as being this really like, like Carla said, he's a, a lech and he's, um, harasser <laughs> he's annoying um that whole thing with him and kim first he you know he turns on this like unhealthy obsession with everything that kim is doing and it's like if she wants to have your attention dude she'll let you know and when she did say okay you have my little bit of attention then he becomes like it, it that relationship i did not dig it at all i didn't like it and then he turns around and freddie commits the ultimate ultimate betrayal by cheating with him <laughs> come on this is not something that you do oh gosh i'll get into that later but um yeah curses ron and it is it is a um 
it is, I guess, a, a stain on on Dwayne that this guy was your best friend. This is this is the this is the best you could do. <laughs> there was nobody else at Hillman that you could have been friends with, except for Ron. I honestly can't think of like one really really good thing to say, except for that one time, uh, the episode where. They were playing, you know, it was very hurtful um, when they were playing the dozens. And I don't know, you know, for anybody that doesn't know what the dozens are, the dozens are when your mama, your mama sold, you know, your mama jokes, essentially. Those are the dozens. But what the dozens comes from historically is on the auction block, they would say certain subset of enslaved people um, are so thick they have to go this way. Certain are so thin, have to go this way. So dark, have to go that way. That's what the dozens, and they would separate them into dozens. So playing the dozens is actually very hurtful. It's, it's got a really harsh connotation to it. And so when they're doing that, and Kim, as a dark-skinned, uh, thicker woman, was feeling it, he kind of exacerbated that because he was one of the people that were doing the dozens, but he does make it up when she does, they do that historical, um, I guess it's more like a showcase, it's not a play. It's more like a showcase where Kim plays, uh, she plays different black historical figures throughout the ages. And one of them is the mammy. And then one of them is like, basically she's Oshun, like goddess, uh, one of the, the goddesses in, in African folklore. And he says, you know, Kim Johnson, uh, Kim Johnson. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Kim, let me not say that. She never married him. If you're listening out there, she never married him. Um, so he says that Kim, she blew my mind. You know, she blew me away. That's like literally the only thing I can say ever that came out that was good about Ron was that he said that and it seemed to be very sincere when he said it. That's about it. <laughs> And um, I'm ashamed to say I didn't know that. I didn't know that came from that. So that's that's a good thing to learn. Yeah, I did not know that, the history of that. But, yeah, Ron is, um, yeah, he's, <laughs> not much more I can really add. Um, it's, he's like, he's, it's funny because in the episode where, you know, he's not going to be graduating with them, um, and then he like buys his discount, you know, ro- his discount. Um, oh my God, why is the name escaping me? You know, when you wear what you wear when you graduate, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Um, Cap and gown. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, Aaron. Um, <laughs> it's not like it's some hard word to remember. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Uh, when he goes to buy the cap and gown and he's going to just sneak in and graduate with everybody else. And then he eventually tells his dad, you know, and his dad does that whole thing of trying to bribe the dean with the with the car, you know, and you're watching this sleazy, you know, sleazy car salesman is basically what his dad is. And that's exactly what Ron is in a lot of ways. He's the sleazy salesman if he's trying to but he's trying to sell himself. And that's what he does all the time. He's kind of, he's being his dad. He's basically like taking after his dad because his dad gets mad at him for a little bit, but then he instantly blames the 
the college. He's instantly blaming the college instead of actually looking at his son and seeing what his son might have done wrong. It's like, oh, it's the college's fault and we're going to get away with it because I'm just going to bribe him. And that's all you need to do. And you don't need to actually improve or get better or look at this as a as a lesson at all. And I think his character never grew past that, never really grew in the show. Um, and yeah, cheating and, and all that stuff and, you know, doing more obsession and stalking behavior and just icky grossness that he never grew out of. And I think he was just kind of ended up becoming like he was supposed to be kind of comic relief in a way um, within the comedy, like the one that always, you know, does the stupid things or is the playboy or thinks he's a playboy, but he's not really. And that, that kind of thing. And so he just kind of gets on your nerves and gets old and it's, you know, it's like you want to get away from the car salesman and you just want to get away from Ron and you want him to stop selling himself to you because you're not buying. Yeah. (laughs) That's totally the way he was. Okay. Well, let's talk about um, Kimberly. And I put her down there as Kimberly because, you know, I was in my, I was still in my Southern accent was starting to, come through so Carla your thoughts on Kimberly Kimberly I love Kim Kim was probably my no not probably she was by far my favorite character on the show I had so much admiration for her because for one thing the first scene with her is her not letting Whitley have her way and that takes I mean she was she just came in here as a freshman she's so confident and mature and she's like gaming the ungameable Whitley Gilbert and the that she ended up becoming Whitley's best friend down the line for me made it easier to like Whitley and I really I don't know like I I, I the, the characters who interacted positively with Kim I could tolerate better than the ones who couldn't because Kim was you know she just she had my heart in this show, I, I think once it, um, when you have an influx of new characters like the show did in, in the second season, when they were pretty much revamping everything, anytime that a new character comes in and you wonder how it's going to change the dynamic of the show, how it's going to either improve it or or disimprove it, you kind of have to wonder how it's going to work out for the show and then for yourself as a fan. And she, just by being there, just made it so much better. And that boded really well for the rest of the show for me. Um, she also has a lot of very interesting storylines. She has the the false alarm pregnancy at one point. She has that relationship with, with Ron, which I just could not understand. Because they could not be more opposite. I mean, she's a really driven, determined student. And she really wants to make it. And she has like all of these brilliant insight and she was dating Ron which is just you know oh writers what were you even thinking as if she would ever actually stoop that low but you know horny teenagers are horny teenagers I guess um she uh I loved her drive and the fact that even though she's she's very smart she's very driven but she still has moments of doubt. And when they talk about that, there's a moment where uh, Claire Huxtable, she's talking with Kim and Kim breaks down because she's like, you know, what if I can't do this? You know, like I can't even 
you know, I, I'm going to be responsible for cutting into people. Like I can't even cut zucchini or something like that. And it's such a, you know, it, it really made me feel kind of better as a person because, you know, there's this woman that I admire who is so just all of these things that I want to be. And she has a moment of self-doubt. Um, and it just made her all the more relatable. She was just one of the most well-rounded characters in the entire show. And she was just, if, if there's one thing about rewatching recently, it's as an adult, I'm even more in love with her than I was as a kid. Like I can appreciate her so much more now being an adult who's going through my own um, struggles with uh, imposter syndrome and uh, just finding so much of who she is and what she goes through to be all the more relevant to my life now. So, you know, um, Chanel Brown, is that her name? I'm sorry. Okay, thank you. Because I, I constantly like misread it as Charlene, so I'm glad that I got it right. <laughs> Charnel Brown, uh, just I, I just I, I don't know that I could ever be more thankful to an actor for giving somebody like that to uh, to want to model myself after as a kid. And I'm I'm, I'm just really sorry that I for so long I didn't rewatch the show because rewatching it now, like I'm really just, I'm having so many wonderful, warm feelings about the show on the whole, but especially about Kim and about how uh, she's like speaking to me now, even all of these bazillion years later. Tiffany. She was the right actress for that role at the right time. I think it was amazing that she was able to really infuse that character with so much heart and soul. Um, Kim was was layered. Kim was complicated. Um, Kim had came from her her personal issues weren't just oh, what am I going to wear to class today. Um, you know, she had a, a bout of how am I going to pay for school because my family can't support me, and I don't. And I've exhausted my, you know, my my fin- financial aid options. I've exhausted my scholarship options. Um, and this was a brilliant, brilliant student who should have had the world at her feet when it came to to colleges and, and colleges paying her for the pleasure of having her on campus. Um, but I think it was very real, a very real storyline for them to put that in there it was very real to show her doubting her looks and doubting her her weight um that was a big thing with kim as well not to and not in a detrimental manner something that somebody would have just everyday thoughts about do i look okay in this how do i look in this today am i not not obsessing over it but just wondering um she, Charnel Brown is such a she's a really, really great actress. She's got a very expressive face. And um, and Kim was definitely, like, she was right. She was, like, neck and neck with Whitley for me as my two favorite characters. And when you put them together, I think they're just, like, because they're so different from each other. 
<laughs> so when you put them together, it's just gold. They're either going to have like, they're going to either just give you this laugh out loud moment or they're just going to like little, kind of break your heart a little bit um, because they feel so differently about things. Uh, I'm Kim as on a different world, just chef's kiss. Magnifique. I think she was the most real and most well-rounded and most um, relatable, I think, of, of all the characters. Um, and once again, the acting, the performance, I mean, was so good. Just so good. Um, vulnerability is a hard thing to portray where it doesn't end up becoming where you are thought of or seen as weak because i think sometimes when people are, are vulnerable um people want to turn that around to them being weak and i think whenever she was vulnerable it made her a stronger character and a more relatable character and a more likable character and i can't think of a single thing her character did in the run of the show that made you just want to scream or pull your hair out i mean Except for dating Ron, but I think, but I don't blame her for that. I blame the show writers for that because I don't think she would have logically done that. That doesn't make any kind of sense. Um, I think they were just like, okay, maybe we can try and find some kind of, I don't know, magic here, or maybe we can, I don't know what they were trying to do. I don't know. I'm trying to just, <laughs> I don't know if you found any trivia on that one, Carla, but. Um... <laughs> No, all I can say about that is that it reminds me of in, I think it was like sixth grade, when the teachers decided to uh, to have every problem student sit next to me so that my my goodness would rub off on them. So I was constantly sitting next to the worst people. Oh, so God. like maybe they were they were trying to like be like, oh, yeah. see, Ron isn't all that bad. Kim likes them. No, she didn't. That probably is what they were trying. And. I think that's horrible that the teachers did that. <laughs> Frankly, that's horrible. Thank you. I agree. That's that shouldn't be on you. I, that's I'm sorry. That just really pisses me off. Um, <laughs> yeah, shame on you out there, Carlos teacher. Uh, seriously, that's don't don't do that to your students. I mean, really, like, um, hi, I'm also a kid. Yes, exactly. It's like, oh, oh, oh sorry. I'm really I'm furious for you um really pisses me off whoops um but anyway yeah that's probably what they were trying to do they're like okay even though this goes against her and and um she deserves so much better than this we're still gonna stick her with this guy with this sleazy car salesman because i think that's what he should be called from now on um, and we're just going to stick her with him and then we're going to have him cheat on her. And then, I mean, and it's just like, it's like, let's just slap her across the face kind of thing. And let's just kind of kick her and she doesn't deserve that. Um, and like you said, Carla, maybe they were, th they were probably were thinking maybe she will just rub off on him and people will end up loving him more because he's with her and, you know, yeah, that's just icky. Icky, and I'm never going to get over what you what you said, Carla. That just, oh my God, I'm going to find that teacher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But all the teachers out there, don't do that. Don't do that. It's the same thing if, like, 
you know, if you're the smart kid in the class and the teacher's like, we're just going to have you answer everything. We're going to have you be, oh, and you're already dealing with the fact that so many of your peers look at you. Look, I mean, I know I had to deal with that in school where it was like all your peers were like looking down at you because you were so smart or whatever. And then to have to yeah, do like, that. I'm, makes, I'm already the nerd. I'm already the foreigner. Like, okay, they get it. I'm an uh, alien. Oh my god, yeah, like, that's just Let me just bring up my antennae to really complete the look. Ah. Uh, okay. Oh, shame on that teacher. Okay. So I hope teachers if you're listening, I hope you've learned something from this seriously. So, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Okay, well let's move on to Freddy. So what are your thoughts on Freddy? You know, as uh as a kid watching the show, I related very strongly to Freddie. I, you know, that, well, not related to her because she wasn't relatable to me, but she was somebody that I wanted to emulate in style and in spirit because she was just very free spirited, very open, very loving, very compassionate. Um, definitely one thing that I took away from uh, watching Freddie and admire, admiring her was her her activism and her involvement in the in community and in uh, issues that were larger than than herself. I really thought that was a, a wonderful thing. Um, and I always, I, I don't know, I, I just kind of always hoped that I could be the kind of grown up who would be, who would stand up for what's right, um, which I think she she tried to do. Uh, watching it, you know, rewatching it now, she for me is the character that. I I am seeing in a different light than I did back then because she honestly she's a little bit grating. <laughs> um she's a little naive, very, very doe-eyed in her worldview. She follows her her heart and her heart and her gut, which is not a bad thing, but it leads her to do things that are hurtful to other people. Like when she cheats on um on both her boyfriend and uh well, on, on her boyfriend, but also with Ron, who was dating Kim. Um, and then also the fact that she just kept dating Ron for a good while afterwards. I was like, oh, gross. But uh, yeah, like I really, I had loved her. And we're watching it now. I'm like, oh, well, you know, I'm going to keep watching all of the episodes that I skipped around on. Because I uh, I want to reacquaint myself with these with all of these characters now as a grown-up. But I'm really like examining my views on freddie like i don't regret admiring her um her social awareness and her awareness about the environment and things like that that i still find important and that i still think are absolutely things that we should fight for but i i do you know i i watched her first couple of episodes and i was like oh my god she's so annoying she's like like maggie but very she's more annoying than maggie okay i'll just say it she's she's maggie but annoying but uh you know that that's, that's nothing to say about Cree summers who who played freddie brooks who is fantastic and also has a long career in in voice acting and voiceover work she she was doing um voice acting before during and after filming a different world she has a long and storied career voicing i think over 300 
um, distinct characters. And that's like, that's no small thing. I mean, she's just amazing. Um, but yeah, Freddie, I, I think I have like a more complicated view on now than I did back then. And, you know, again, you know, like I started watching this when I was like a kid kid and like really rewatched it when I was a, a teenager and like Freddie helped me form my idealized notions of what the world should be. So I don't regret that part of my my view of watching her but now I'm, I'm just like yeah she's really annoying to me now <laughs> tiffany so freddie was for me like the quintessential tree hugger <laughs> i mean because she was she was literally out there like, hugging trees chaining herself to trees um she i think she had to remember she was younger than them um she was i think a year behind them but but she was also younger in age i think because she like skipped a grade something like that so freddie was um a bit more immature than the rest of her classmates and, and peers and she did have a very innocent worldview which definitely changed um as the seasons went by uh i liked the character when i watched it as a young kid, because I thought I like, you know, I like the way she's wearing her bell bottoms and I think it's cool. I think her hair is cute and, you know, it's curly. It's like mine. It's curly. I like it. <laughs> but um, yeah, as an adult, looking back on Freddie, mm, yeah, Freddie would be, because she'd be one who's like, um, only eat sustainable quinoa, uh, only, you know, uh, go meat free. You know, she'd definitely be a member of PETA. <laughs> she definitely remember Peter, and and she would always be telling you that you know animals have souls too. Don't eat anything with a heartbeat. <laughs> so, so, yeah, uh, Freddie. Looking back, Freddie would probably grate on your nerves. She probably would. Um, but I think, but Cree Summer is fantastic. Uh, and you talk about somebody who I'm like. Gosh, black don't crack because Chris looks the same. <laughs> she almost looks the same. She looks better than she did <laughs> back when she was 35 years ago. It's ridiculous. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes, but yay, Cree. <laughs> She's such a great actress, such a great voiceover artist, too. Yeah, she Freddie reminds me of honestly of parts of who I was when I was a preteen and then early high school. I was very into 60s stuff and the 60s and activism. And I remember, you know, being um, 13 and with the um, um, with the first George Bush president. And when we were going to over over to Iraq and Desert Storm and everything was starting with that. And I remember standing on the street corner with signs that we made, a couple of us friend, friends and and getting flipped off, 13 year olds getting flipped off um, and having, of course, the flag waved at us and all that kind of stuff. And then I remember going down to like the Capitol and protesting and having people come up and say, this is what we did in the 60s. And, you know, and I grew up with a mom who you know, was very much, I mean, she's told me stories that it's amazing she's alive, honestly, some of the stuff that she did, because she went 
um, to college at UC Davis. And then she lived in San Francisco in like the late 60s, early 70s. So, um, you know, the height of all of that. So I think because I grew up with a mom that was that was like that. And then my dad, of course, was in Vietnam. And so I kind of was like there it was like this renaissance of the 60s. Um, I think we talked about that a little bit, Carla, when we talked about our nighttime dramas and how there was a renaissance of that around that time. And so I very much thought of myself as that. And then I went to high school in Boulder, which I don't know if anybody knows about Boulder, Colorado, but Boulder is, um, it's very much, it's, there's a lot of yippies. So a lot of hippies that turned into yuppies and it's very much, it's, they say it's like basically like three three square miles or five square miles surrounded by reality. So basically people who live in Boulder think that their world is better than everybody else. And they're very much, you know, that very much save everything and save the planet and don't eat anything with a face and that kind of, that kind of thing. Um, and then I remember you would take, you know, cause I lived in Denver and I would commute up to Boulder and I would take people into Denver and they'd be like, Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. And just terrified. And I remember driving down a main dragon. We were stopped and there was a car of all these teenage boys next to us. And I happened to look over at them. And my friend was like, Don't look at them. They're going to kill us. And I'm like, Okay. You live in a totally different world. <laughs> and that's because she she grew up in Boulder. And so she lived in this, it's this weird thing of like Boulder is like we love everybody and we want to make the world a better place, but we live in this little bubble and we're afraid of going outside of that bubble. And, you know, so it was, I had a lot of fun in Boulder, but it was also this very, you know, it was that whole little, it turned me off on the whole hippie thing um, because there were these other aspects to it where it was um, very egotistical and very self-centered and not looking at the bigger picture. Like with PETA, for example, with PETA, I mean, PETA is a horrible organization, terrible, terrible organization and a ridiculous organization. And, you know, and for an organization that claims to really love animals, they kill a lot of animals if you don't know that. So they're just, yeah. And they also support breed specific legislation. So that's, another reason that I don't like them. And also just some of their stuff is just ridiculous. Uh, like the animal crackers thing and wanting to release the animals from the whatever. It's like, basically they're all about money. So yeah. And so with Freddie, you know, watching Freddie now, I'm just like, I'm just like, oh my gosh, that doe-eyed innocence, but yet thinking you're going to change the world. It just kind of makes me sad in a way. It's like, I kind of just want to be like, I don't know. I don't know how to put it, but um, I kind of just want to be like this. You're going to get a rude wake up call or something's going to happen and it's going to change you. And you think you're helping, but you're actually kind of becoming a nuisance in some ways when you're, when you're like that, you can become a nuisance and like the whole little, I don't know. How did you describe the quinoa again? Because that was so perfect, Tiffany. Sustainable quinoa. So, and I know, and I, and I have people in my life that are still like that, that still talk like that. And I love, bless them. But it is that thing of like, okay, I may not be doing everything up to code to what you're wanting to do. But I think sometimes people forget 
that, you know, it's not always possible for everybody to eat a certain way. It's not always possible for everybody to, you know, be as green as possible. And I, you know, I've been a vegetarian before I've been macrobiotic before I grew up, you know, we grew up eating like seaweed and, and tofu and stuff like that. And I love tofu still to this day. But I know from my personal experience, my body functions better with animal protein. It just does. And yes, I agree. We do have to be better about the way we consume it because it does harm the earth. But we also have to take into account that it's there, there's an ego behind that. I know I'm going on this huge tangent here. I'm sorry, everybody. But <laughs> there's like an ego behind that. And you kind of it, it just it's really irritating. And I, I was exposed to it a lot with boulder and you just kind of want to just go there's a world that's bigger than what you're looking at and it's not always easy for everybody to shop at whole foods every week you just can't do that it's not logistically possible and there's such a thing as food deserts and there's such a so people have to look at the bigger picture there and another thing i love i love animals i do and i love dogs more than most people in this world i think dogs are better than most people However, when you're going to put animals above people, there's a, there's a sickness to that. I think you have to really, really look at people and help people. And, you know, that's why they say there's always going to be, you know, the way you can get white people to care about something is to have somebody hurt a dog. And it is true. It's very, very true. And I'm, and I know I'm guilty of it too, because I just, I can't stand seeing animals hurt. Um, but you have to also look at people and if you you have to get as as infuriated and as angry about people getting hurt as you are about animals getting hurt because if you're not then your activism and your care really doesn't mean much because you will see there are a lot of people that are animal activists that are Trump supporters and I'm sorry but you can't be like I want to save beings and creatures and I think animals have a soul and then support white supremacy or support stuff like that. I know I went on a huge tangent here. I'm sorry. It just really seemed to fit with what we were talking about. So, um, yeah. Okay. And I just want to, I mean, just time-wise, but um, are there any other characters you want to make sure you mention really quickly before we move on to ships? Uh, well, I was going to say Lena, but frankly, my only comment would be, I didn't really care for her, so maybe we'll just skip that unless Tiff wants to add something about Lena. <laughs> no, no. Lena. Mm. Yeah, exactly. That's my feeling yeah. about that too. The the later yeah, the later seasons, those I the like students the from Yeah. From <laughs> the students in the later seasons, it's like I wasn't watching for them. I was still just watching for, you know, our core group of people. Yeah. I, I honestly wasn't watching for them because they were Annoying. They were annoying. <laughs> they were, they were annoying. Um, I did. Besides the the creepy marriage, I did actually like Colonel Taylor. Um, I thought I thought it was an interesting because there are a lot of um, there are people that run the ROTC programs on campus, and they are very much like Colonel Taylor. <laughs> and then there are the you have your your cafeteria and service workers like Mr. Gaines. Uh, and they are just like Mr. Gaines, you know, kind of crotchety but with a heart of gold. <laughs> so yeah, they just had a lot of um they've had a lot of great characters come by. Um I don't know if you all remember the uh when Heavy D 
guest starred. <laughs> so great. <laughs> With Whitley not knowing who he was. Yes. <laughs> A diddly diddly. My favorite similar cameo was when in Vogue um, guested as uh, Mr. Gaines's nieces. Yes. And they were all like, like these really like um, churchy, mousy girls and they were in a chorus and they were all like dressed in like you know the the, the church dresses with the very um, matronly shoes and then um they they they, they perform i think it's free your mind on the show and this very like sexy i mean it's a very sexy song in the first place and vogue is a sexy group but it's just so funny watching them you know like scurry about like little church mouses and then sex it up later on and it's a fantastic song. And the, the show had so many great cameos by, you know, huge names in, in acting and uh, and music. But for me, that's the one that sticks out the most, mostly because I was really into En Vogue. So. <laughs> I loved En Vogue, too. My favorite girl group. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, yeah, the only one I was going to I was going to mention if it wasn't mentioned was Vernon, but and but you already mentioned him, Tiffany. So yeah, we'll just, for the sake of time, we'll just go on to ships. Cause I definitely want to talk about the ships because, you know, we have to talk about certain moments. So <laughs> Carla. <laughs> okay. Okay. I promise I will not take like the entire thing, but I will absolutely just bring up and then you all can flesh out uh, the Dwayne Whitby ship and the fantastic moment in which Whitley's about to get married and Dwayne crashes the wedding with the most beautiful romantic speech. And then Whitley goes off with, with Dwayne and it is just one of the most romantic and wonderful moments of any series. When you talk about uh, huge gestures and interrupted weddings and uh, things that just suddenly uh, get set right it's this moment is, is one of the, the pinnacles of that kind of uh, trope. Um, but as far as just ships in general, th- this was pretty much my only real ship. Um, I had like no TPs like Ron and, and Kim and pretty much Ron and every and anybody with whom he could, he could reproduce because we don't need any more um, of these uh, Ron Johnsons in the, in the universe. No, thank you so much, sir. Um, I shipped Kim and her books because I was very nerdy and I loved studying. I shipped um, Freddie and uh, her activism because I thought that was great. But really, it was it was all about Dwayne and Whitley for me on this show. Just completely. Yeah, I have a feeling that's the way it's going to be. <laughs> um, Antivity. I concur. They, Dwayne and Whitley, Whitley and Dwayne, Whitley and Dwayne, <laughs> they are my, they're my first OTP. They are. They're my first. Like when I think back to actively watching television, actively watching people get together in TV, Whitley and Dwayne are the first time I was like, I need for them to be together. I need them to have a happily ever after. <laughs> Because they deserve it, gosh darn it. Um, and I know we'll go into the scene in a minute. Um, 
But besides them, yeah, there wasn't anybody else really that that I felt needed somebody. Yeah, Kim, Kim and her chemistry set. You know, that that was always great. <laughs> Freddie and her hair products because her hair, her curly hair, was always on point. Um, and you know, Mr. Gaines and his chili because that was always looking good. Yeah, that's probably that's probably about it. Um, yeah, same for me. Um, <laughs> that was really the only ship I cared about. Um, the only one that I really looked forward to, wanted to see. And watching that wedding scene again, which I just watched really recently. What's so great about that scene, I think, is the fact that when Dwayne first shows up to the wedding, he doesn't instantly do anything. I mean, yeah, he, I think he clears his throat or something. But he doesn't instantly crash the wedding. I think it's the f- more that he's watching and he's like, wait, this is really happening. And then when it's getting to be Whitley's turn to say I do. And then Whitley, of course, is hallucinating seeing uh, Dwayne and every single other character there. <laughs> which is really funny. Um, and you see this slight hesitation. Or I think that kind of gives him the confidence also to be like, no, I'm going to say this. And he doesn't care if anyone stops him. And then the fact that they actually get married, which I will say, <laughs> watching it again, there was a part of me that kind of went, I kind of feel bad for you. <laughs> I mean, kind of like, and everybody's celebrating and happy. And I'm like, that's kind of sad in a way, if you look at that. And even though I was happy it happened, and I think it's one of the most romantic scenes ever, there is still that part of it where it's like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> kind of have this feeling of like that must have been so hard because <laughs> that would be hard if you're at your wedding and then the person you're going to marry ends up marrying somebody else at your wedding I mean that would be kind of weird but it's still very romantic <laughs> um I like that they still had that I love banter between a couple and it was healthy banter with them it never felt like abusive or weird or off-putting at all and they just complimented each other so well. And they had such amazing chemistry. They were sexy together. They were smart together. They were funny together. Um, they just really, really loved each other and cared about each other so much and respected each other. And I think that is the key. Um, and yeah, I, I don't think there was there was nobody else I can think of that I even cared about if they got together or not. I mean, I didn't like certain things like we've already talked about ron and kim but i there was no couple where i was like oh i hope they get together or that i cared what happened to them you know but with them i did it was like it just made sense and the fact that they were so different yet they were similar in a lot of respects and they brought out the best in each other and you know Dwayne made whitley um a less superficial person brought out a lot more of her depth and you saw it even when she was going to get married. You saw it when, you know, when you would have her sister in scenes with her. And you would see her sister be a really shallow and like the character that Whitley was when Whitley first appeared on the show. Um, and you'd see, of course, her interactions with her mom and even with her dad. And just seeing this growth and... um watching how caring and how loving she was and how she truly, truly respected who Dwayne was. And I want to say, you know, there's the whole part of where 
you know, she gets that job and she's going to have to leave and they're going to have to li- live in separate areas and or separate pl- states. And and Dwayne originally is like, you know, no, you have to do this. If you don't do this, you will hate me and regret this. And um, and I know they, they eventually just end up together. But what I liked about that, and we were talking about this when we did Living Single, is one trope that I absolutely hate is when a woman gives up her dreams for a guy. And when the guy asks her to give up her dreams for him and the fact that he didn't want to, but he said, if you do this, you will end up hating me. You will end up regretting this was so awesome to see and watching that again was that's such a rarity. And it just endeared that character more like you could not imagine Dwayne Wayne in the first season doing that. I mean, (laughs) this wouldn't have happened. So I just. Yeah, I just absolutely love them. There's so before because remember it's a two part. It's a two part. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The wedding is a two parter. Yeah. So the night before, Dwayne actually yeah, comes and remember, yeah. and he and Whitley have that really really sweet moment where she said she thanks him for teaching her how to love, and I just think that is so it's so poignant and it's so quiet and it's a really great scene because it's a couple that has that still loves each other but just can't really admit it at that point in time and it's like he's saying goodbye to her wink wink and (laughs) she's saying goodbye to him and um they think that okay this is this is it this is how it's going to be this is we're going to be separated and but we can part as friends somewhat um but i love that scene i love it because it, it really just for what I felt at the time, I thought it was just a culmination of their relationship. Boy, oh boy, <laughs> did I not know what was coming. And I will hold off on saying anything additional. <laughs> um, well, and I think she probably wouldn't have reacted the way, and he probably wouldn't have crashed the wedding if they hadn't had that conversation. You know, he, I mean, he probably wouldn't have said what he said and she wouldn't have said I do. And they probably wouldn't have ended up together if there wasn't the scene before. Because, yeah, it was it was a very poignant scene. It wasn't like an arguing scene. It wasn't a heated scene. It wasn't it was a very loving scene. And I said before, I think if you're going to have a really good relationship, you not only have to love your partner, but you have to like your partner. And in that scene, it was very much a friendship and a liking. And yeah. Okay, well, I wanted to just sort of wrap up just talking about favorite episodes, any episodes you want to call out, any scenes, and we'll just, we'll wrap up with that. I I already know what tips is going to be. I have that fully etched into my brain and heart and mind. Um, and, you know, the that episode is fantastic. It has, like, wonderful things to it. There are also a lot of great moments in the episodes that that center on big issues like the the episode um where a character has hiv and the students kind of shun her and you know like all of that and the the episode with the um the pregnancy scare the time capsule episode where ron decides to put in a condom and he actually has like a really good reason for it which is you know it's it's about um taking charge of your of of the future and um looking out for the planet and looking out for uh it, it's basically a really good psa about uh, using protection 
and of course the uh honeymoon in la episodes which started off season six which are two of the strongest episodes of the show and i i unfortunately call them to mind very frequently because we have cost to which that's the unfortunate part but for me the absolute hands down favorite episode and moment in all of a different world is the episode in which Whitley's therapist teaches her to relax, relate, release, relax, relate, release. It is hilarious watching Whitley walk around and just relax, relate, release, relax, release. It's, you know, it, it's one of those, those moments that you can just instantly picture in your mind every time that you uh, think those words. My sister and I would run around screaming that at each other and like doing the, the Whitley moves as she's, you know, as as we're screaming at each other. Um, when sometimes like I'll get very, very stressed and I'm trying to think of serious ways to calm myself down and my brain will come up with that. I'm like, I want a serious thing. No, this is no, no time for callbacks to a different world. I need something to calm me down, not to make me laugh. And yet inevitably it does help. So thank you so much to Debbie Allen, who played the therapist in that episode, and to Whitley Gilbert, a.k.a. Jasmine Guy, for making it so memorable. And Tiffany. So, the episode with um, uh, when Gladys Knight <laughs> comes <laughs> and they do the contest uh, to see who's going to be her backup singers and... and <laughs> I love that episode. I love it so much because Jaleesa and Whitley were like, they were so, so thinking that that they both had it in the bag and then neither of them get it. <laughs> and then they both dreaming of it. And that final scene of them doing it with Gladys, it's, it's just so fantastic. Um, the episode, uh, the standalone episode with Dwayne and Ron uh, getting into it with the racist white boys from uh, the, the local town college. Uh, that one was, that one was tough because, you know, you, they're saying that they said the N word, they didn't bleep it out. Um, and then having the, the word written on the car as well. And it was, I mean, when Dwayne tells him, you know, he's like, Duke, you know, your grandfather came over here on the boat and everything. And it's like, my grandfather built this country um, because I know for a fact that I have been told many times, go back to where you came from. And it's like, okay, uh, my family has been here since this was a country. So who's going back where? <laughs> you know, <laughs> who's going back where, okay? And we did not come voluntarily, hello. Um, so that one was, a, but I mean, the testament to Kadeem Hardison's greatness as a dramatic actor was on point there. He just, he's so good in that. He's, I mean, Ron Johnson, you know, he's fine, whatever. He's just there for backup. But, <laughs> but Kadeem Hardison in that moment, I think just really, really, um, really was outstanding. And that's just a great, it's, it's a well-written episode, top to bottom. Um, and it also shows that you can't just put a bow on things either because when they walk out you know you think okay the white boys kind of get it they understand where he's coming from and then they walk out and then the slur is on the car 
So, you know, it's like, okay, we can talk to, to a blue in the face, but did it change anything? No. So I think that was an important message. But let's talk about that scene, the wedding. So for all these youngins out here who are well-versed with spoilers and how spoilers come about, you know, you can read the trades and you can read blind items and things like that. So a lot of times you know what's going to happen, right? This does not go down in the early 90s. It does not happen like this. There were no spoilers. Nobody knew what was happening. The only thing that we knew was in because it was written as a little blind, a little item on TV Guide that said Whitley celebrates her marriage. Okay. Whitley's getting married, which we knew she was engaged to Byron, right? We already knew that. So when that moment happens and it's the way it's filmed, it's from the it's from the viewpoint of where the pastor is standing. That's how you see Dwayne coming in from the back. And he's walking so slowly. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. What's going to happen? What's happening? <laughs> I'm starting to sweat. I'm starting to sweat. What's going on? <laughs> and remember, and he's like, you know, <laughs> Whitley, would you have to hold for Richard for poor baby, baby, please? <laughs> when he said that, nobody knew what was going to happen. Nobody had any idea that that was going to be in that episode. It was a complete surprise. And you know it's a surprise because you can hear the studio audience gasping over it. The, the audience is completely shocked. So they kept it under wraps. Nobody knew that was going to happen. It's such a... Yeah, and, like like Aaron said, I can't believe they actually got married after I can't believe they did that. Who does that? I mean it's like at least like run away and, and go get married at the Justice of the Peace. Don't and like literally stand there and have the wedding. That's just and poor Byron and his mother are like walking off to the side. Oh, shout out to Byron who is Papa Pope who is, you know, <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, uh, Joe Morton, for all those kids out there who, who don't know who Papa Pope is. Anyway, um, that, man, that episode, that that was the art of storytelling for me. Like, that was that was the art of, how, number one, how to, keep a, how to keep a story quiet, and then, number two, how to tell something and do it effectively. And I will, it's, it's my favorite wedding scene, like of all time. It's my favorite of all time. I love it. I still love it. I can remember it like it was yesterday. Like even the little bits and pieces, Freddie was dating Shaza. Remember him? (laughs) Yes. So, and he was, you know, of course he was so sanctimonious about his activism and everything, but he really didn't do anything. And he's going on and on, um, when he's meeting Whitley's mother and he's, he's saying, you know, the, the woman has to be this bad and the other. And he was like, but God dang, you're fine. <laughs> he said that to Whitley's mother. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh. And she's like, oh, I know. <laughs> that was the late great Diane Carroll, right? Um, yeah, that, that whole episode though, that whole two-part, two-parter is just, it's so good. Okay, I'm going to stop. See, this is when I want our YouTube channel because I want people to be able to see because that's part of the joy for me is watching 
um, is sitting back and watching people's reaction because you see how much this, how important art is and how much it means to us. And, and it's, it's just so, it was just so great to watch, watch you doing that, Tiffany. I'm like, oh, I wish I could. I mean, Tiffany's like, no, no, but. <laughs> That I wanted to, but I mean, I, it won't happen. Don't worry. Um, My face is so red right now. <laughs> um, but and the other part about that wedding scene that's so great is the fact that Dwayne has no reservations. He doesn't care about if he's humiliating himself. He doesn't care about that. He just knows he loves her so much with everything he is. And he knows if he doesn't do this, he will lose her forever. And he can't live his life without her. And it's not in a codependent way. It's not in any kind of unhealthy way. It's in a very healthy, healthy way where he's like, this is my best friend. This is my partner. This is the other half of my soul and my heart. So I'm going to lay it out there and hope she returns that love. And I think, I mean, I think deep down, even if he was scared, he knew that she would. Um, because they knew each other so well, but yeah, it's, it's a great, great, lovely, amazing, wonderful scene. Um, and that, that whole episode is really, really great. Um, and, um, (laughs) I loved her fiance's mom too. I just want to say that because she was so, when she got up in the middle of when they were doing their vows and she's like, you're so beautiful to Whitley and wants to hug her. (laughs) Oh my gosh, she was so funny. That was just that just it was and sweet and endearing, but she would probably drive you nuts after a while, but she was really sweet. I loved that too. Um I think the series finale is actually really good. Um I thought they wrapped it up really well. I that was of course the last episode I watched um today and I thought they did a pretty good job. Um I I'm glad that Whitley and Dwayne didn't have a child until after the show. Like we didn't get to see that. I I know that some people may have wanted to see that. I sometimes, I don't know. I think sometimes when that happens, it's very hard for people to write after that or write the couple realistically around that. So I'm glad we didn't see that <laughs> honestly. Um, and yeah, the, the LA episodes, the two episodes that open up season six are really, really good. Um, yeah, I, I echo all of that. Um, well, I think this has been a lot of fun and I know that you probably didn't, don't, don't want to be on camera, but I wish we were, I mean, we are on camera, but I wish we had our YouTube station because I just, it's just so beautiful to watch people just in love with art and in love with celebrating something. I I don't know. I'm I'm a geek and a dweeb, but I just loved watching that. That was probably <laughs> I just love you both. So anyway. Hearts. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it is Valentine's Day, so <laughs> Okay, so we're gonna wrap up and have everybody say where they can be found and if you wanna promote anything, Carla. Um, I kind of wish like I would be kind of scared for people to watch me flail around the way that I do and just emphatically nod my head after every single point where I'm just constantly like, yeah, yeah, that's what she said. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. But for now, just be satisfied with finding me on uh, the podcast that Meg and I co-host, which is called Bedwetter Behead Pod, which you can find 
on all of your finest purveyors of delicious pottertainment. And you can find our Twitter presence at BedWetBeheadPod. And also you can find me at Carla Temis. That's C-A-R-L-A-T-E-M-I-S. And I very much enjoyed this particular recording. (laughs) And Tiffany. I, as well, had a great time with this recording. This is fantastic, and I'm still red in the face after all this flailing that I did. Anywho, you can find me on the Twitters, mostly, and I am at WhoIsTiffIsMe. That is at WhoIsTiffIsMe. I also write for the Game of Nerds, and you can find the Game of Nerds across all platforms, Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, at the Game of Nerds. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. And my cheeks hurt from smiling so much. I mean, seriously. <laughs> it's awesome. And we are actually looking into getting a YouTube channel to all our listeners out there. It doesn't mean I will force any panelists to be on there if they don't want to. But we'll do like certain episodes. You know, we've actually had um, suggestions of doing like cosplay that suits what we're doing at that time. So something like that. So that is something we're looking into I'm hoping that will come around in the summer or fall time. So just a heads up to the listeners. And this is Erin. You can follow me on Twitter at EAprilBeauty. The E and the A and the B are capitalized. Be sure to like the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash it's a fandom thing pod. On Twitter at fandom thing pod. No, it's in that one. On Instagram at it's a fandom thing pod. If you have any feedback, show notes, anything like that, feel free to reach out to us at it's a fandom thing pod at gmail.com. And next week, Carla will be returning, and we are going to be talking about Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and Judas and the Black Messiah. So it should be a lot of fun. Um, I haven't watched Judas and the Black Messiah yet. Um, have you watched it yet, Carla? No, but I, I cannot wait to watch it. Yeah, yeah. Me too. So, and then I'm going to, of course, watch Ma Rainey's again before we record. So, should be two really, really good episodes. Um, I love delving deep into movies because that's my big passion. And I know people are really big fans of our Promising Young Woman episodes. So, we're definitely going to be doing more movie episodes. Just to let everybody know. Okay. So, until next time, remember, it's a fandom thing and Black Lives Matter. Thank you again for listening to It's a Fandom Thing. Be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and follow us on all your favorite podcast platforms. Our logo was designed by Brooke Belly with cover art by Carla Temmies. Additional research was done by Megan Archuleta. Our Instagram and Facebook content producer and creator is Erin Amos. And our producer is Lila Tafola. I'm your host, Erin Marlowe. And remember, keep that fandom spirit alive. Hey, podcast listener. Do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in bigger than ever for Season 9. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today.